We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Blue Wire. Welcome back. It's the Big Blue Banter, New York Giants football podcast. I'm Dan Schneier. Joined as always my co-host Nick Bellato. Today we're here to talk a little Giants football. We want to talk to you about some things that stood out to us when John Mara, Giants owner, Joe Shane, Giants general manager, and Brian Dable spoke at the owners' meetings. The owners' meetings are an interesting time, as Joe Shane referenced, because you get a chance to speak to a lot of GMs. You get a chance, the owners get a chance to speak to the owners. There are potential rule changes that come through for the NFL. But more importantly, there's potential trade options and talks. We now know from learning from Joe Shane that the Darren Waller trade actually started at the Senior Bowl when he was talking to the Raiders GM there. And that then matriculated all the way through to the point of the trade. So something similar could happen if the Giants decide to make another trade either via uh, for players or for uh, draft picks. So I'm really interested to see what comes out of that. But today we're going to focus on some of the key takeaways. Before we do that, Nick, how are you doing today, my friend? I'm out here in Arizona where all the owners are. They're over at the bougie Biltmore in Scottsdale, but it's very sunny here. I can understand why. A lot of the coaches and owners would like to come to this day. I believe last year they were in Florida, but I'm doing well, man. Thank you for asking. Constant sun out there in Arizona. Do you have a, live a live a nice life? And I feel like a lot of people and things are moving out there. So must be nice. But it's actually a sunny day out here today in New Jersey, so I can't complain too much. There you go. Uh, let's let's talk a little Giants football. We're gonna go in any no kind of order, but I want to start with what I thought was the most interesting thing to come out of the interviews, and that was this discussion on the center position for the Giants. So as everyone knows, the Giants signed John Feliciano to a one-year deal last year. He started almost every game at center. Then he, uh, uh, what did he miss? One or two games? Feliciano, I mean, he, he was the center. So however many games he missed, it's not big. It was negligible. Yeah. And yeah. in during those t- during that time, Nick Gates was the one who stepped in anyway at center for him. And Nick Gates signed with the Washington Commanders in a multi-year deal. John Feliciano signed with the San Francisco 49ers. So both players are gone. It leaves a pretty glaring hole at center. There's been speculation among fans and us who may take it. But we finally got some clues as to what the Giants feel about the situation right now. And it's interesting because what Joe Shane said about the center position was very different in my mind, than what Ben Bredesen said on a podcast that he appeared on with Jordan Rana uh, of ESPN just a few days ago. So I thought that was interesting. Let's first start by what we heard from Joe Shane. And Joe Shane said, Ben Bredesen, Jack Anderson, who remember we saw at guard in the Cowboys game, the guy who blew up, blew that screen block. That's all, that's all I remember him as, Nick. <laughs> that could have been a big play. And Jane Lemieux have taken snaps. He said he doesn't sound like uh, – it did the way he said it, he said Brent Brennison is a guy we feel very comfortable with at center. That was very interesting to me that Joe Shane said that. 
And he also said, we still have a draft. We don't play until September. Guys will be cut post-draft that we'll be looking at. We have confidence in Ben Bredesen, Jack Anderson, and Shane Lemieux. He said Jack Anderson was with us in Buffalo and has been working at center. He also said the same about Shane Lemieux. So that was interesting, Nick. But then we heard Ben Bredesen say that, no, I haven't taken any snaps. Or He said, no, I haven't. It, no one has mentioned to me that I might be moving to center, but my role in the team is interior line, guard, center, or whatever. This is Ben Edison, by the way. Whatever is asked, whatever I need to do. I've played center before, and I feel comfortable doing it. I feel comfortable in any of those three interior spots. So I feel like there's a little bit of a disconnect between what Joe Shane has said Ben Bredesen has already done and what Ben and probably what Joe Shane meant was we feel comfortable even though we don't have the experience yet of seeing him at center. And it's something that Brian Dable made clear during his whatever you want to call them, interviews with the media. Like we haven't even stepped on the football field yet with this personnel. So once they get into OTAs, once they get into training camp, which is a while away, that's not until July, then the Giants can cross train these guys, get them out there, have them take snaps and have that competition arise if they don't add anybody. I expect them to add somebody eventually, whether that be a veteran free agent, somebody in the draft. I don't think it's going to be at pick 25, which we can get into here in a little bit because I know a lot of Giants fans believe that the the Giants might invest in like a John Michael Schmitz or Joe Tipman or Luke Whipler or a player like that. I think the Giants feel comfortable enough at least right now with those three options and having them compete. And that's under the likelihood that Josh Azudu is back from his neck injury and that Josh Azudu wins that left guard job, which is still a little bit up in the air. And Mark Lewinsky isn't necessarily a long-term option. So when you look at the interior offensive line, there's still uncertainty. I think the Giants do know that, but they love the people that they have in the building at least. And at least what I could say about Jack Anderson, dude, he at least went to Statland University, right? Because he was a player who played with Philadelphia for a couple of years. And we know Jeff Statland does such an excellent job with the Philadelphia offensive linemen, unfortunately. I've liked his tape a little bit from before the Giants signed him, but when he came in with the Giants, that one blown screen play, and I think he had all starts or something, it was yeah. a terrible start to his tenure here in New York. And that's, we can't, we don't want to judge him off such a small sample size. I'm not ruling out Jack Anderson. I'm ruling, not ruling out any of those players, quite frankly. I think of the ones that were mentioned, Shane Lemieux, Jack Anderson, and Ben Bredesen. Bredesen's the only one I'm excited about. I'm not excited about Shane Lemieux at all at the center position. That one, to me, I'm ruling out. Uh, Jack Anderson, I have a little bit of excitement on based on just what you said. You like some of his old tape that he that he was coached by Stoutland. Those are two things that check mark check mark for me. But I still think that's a little bit of a reach. Bresson is an interesting spot for me because I feel like Nick I, and somebody brought this up to me, and I'm curious to get your take on it. How many times have we really seen a six foot four center make it in the NFL? Nick Gates is taller than yeah. that. He's like six foot five. I mean, like Joe Tipman, he's six foot six. I wouldn't I know if I would call Gates making it. I know he had that year with the Giants that gets, in my opinion, a little overrated by fans. It was it was a solid year. But like I'm saying, like make it as I guess it well, it depends what I'm asking, right? Like make it could be that Gates season, right? Before his injury. I guess that could be considered making it. And if the Giants are putting off adding to the center position with their first three picks, say they do that. Can Ben Bredesen at least be that stopgap like Nick Gates was at the center's position? And I think hopefully he can. I'm not, I can't sit here and say that I'm certain that he can because we haven't necessarily seen it. But I do like Ben Bredesen as a prospect. I liked him when he was back at Michigan. I felt like he had pretty solid tape last year, ended up getting injured. And I, and I don't think they're done, right? I think one of the interesting things that Joe Shane said is he mentioned the draft and he mentioned other ways that you can add veteran players, but also players who were just cut, who don't make the 53-man roster. Ideally, you don't want those players to start, but this front office, at the end of training camp, they're going to go through like with a fine comb 
every roster, every player that was cut, and they all have evaluations on those players. And I'm going to bring them onto this team. If there's any interior offensive linemen who don't make it, that's just another player who can compete. And I think players like John Feliciano, like I like John Feliciano, but they signed him to a one-year deal for a reason, right? There's mm-hmm. contingency plans here with Joe Shane, and I trust this general manager and I trust his ability to evaluate talent. So I'm kind of just trusting the process with the center position right now. And I think that's a fair thing to do. I think though we have to consider, uh, you know, as analysts right here, Nick, that if you do take away Ben Bredesen and put him in center, and now you have kind of like a stopgap solution there, you're taking away from your depth on the interior offensive line. And you brought up a great point earlier. We we're all penciling in Josh Azuto as the starting left guard. Well, the reality is he's coming off a injury that, is probably a little bit more serious than people realize. And any neck area injury is not great. They said there's been lukewarm kind of takes from the Giants about him maybe being ready, but that's nothing confirmed right now. And also, it's not just like he came in there and was amazing, except for the times he was injured. He had issue his own issues in pass production. I almost think like from a consistency standpoint, Ben Bredesen was a more consistent guard on a per snap basis than, uh, sorry, than not Lemieux. I was thinking about Lemieux for a second. Then uh, Zudu was last year. So some might even argue like the best course is if the Giants have Bredesen at left guard, they have a different player coming in and competing for center. And and for, at least for next year, Zudo continues to develop. And that's still an option too. Like, I don't think the Giants are going to go center at 25, but they still could. Like, I, I like John Michael Schmitz from Minnesota. I think I like him a little bit more than you do maybe. And mm-hmm. I'm sure you can tell me a lot about Joe Tipman. I watched a decent amount of Joe Tipman. I like Joe Tipman too. And I think there's a lot of technical refinement that can still take place with a player like Tipman. But you can't replace the fact that he's as fast as he is. He's as agile as he is. He's... Well, I think he was top 25 on Bruce Feldman's freak list yeah. heading into the 2022 season. Like he's a very good athlete. And that you're uh, talking about not JMS, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm talking about Joe Tipman right now. And he has the mullet, so that's also excellent. And I think New York fans would love that if he's a good center. So they still could pursue it center at that point of the draft. I just, I don't know, man. I, I don't think, I wanted to get your take on this. Positional value. Do you think Joe Shane would go in that direction? Pick a center at pick 25 with all the other holes all around the roster and the possible players that will be available with that pick. I don't think there's any chance the Giants go center at 25 personally. I think if there was a knockout center in this class, like the year the Jets got mangled or something like that, like maybe Joe Shane would buck the trend. But even then, I don't really think he would do it. I think he's going to subscribe. Out of all the GMs we've had in recent years, I think Joe Shane is very, very focused on positional value, getting value out of these top picks from a contractual standpoint before you have to pay them. And at the same time, I think he probably looks at a team and was like, we signed John Feliciano for like nothing last year, and he was pretty good. You know, Nick Gates was pretty good before the injury. He was signed for nothing. He was an undrafted free agent who they re-signed. You don't really have to go round one to get a center. I think even if you go round two, if they love one of these guys and they're still there in round two at center, you can get a starter in year one. The Chiefs did it with Creed Humphrey. I don't think any of these guys are as good as Creed Humphrey personally, but they did it with Creed Humphrey. It's not impossible to do. And at the same time, I think that there's a decent chance that both of those guys could be on the board when the Giants pick in round two. I think that John Michael Schmitz is not going. If I had to bet, he's not going in the top 50 of this class. I think he could. I think he, he definitely. I mean, he should. People are mocking him to the to the top 30. People are mocking him to 25. Yeah. He's supposed to go there. But I'm just going to yeah. make that bet right now with you on air and we'll see where it goes, because I just know just my thought process on the NFL and what he is as a prospect. I agree. He's probably the best technical center right now. He's probably the overall best center and he has the highest floor by far in this class. He's got a much higher floor than Titman and Whipler and anyone else you want to throw in there. I know there's a kid from Arkansas. I haven't watched who people like, but floor Stromberg. picks to me. Yeah. Yep. 
And I've heard yeah. a lot of good things about him. And people say I would like him a lot for what I'm looking for, which is either like, like I said, like the Ragnow type or the mover type. But I just think the NFL is not looking at a John Michael Schmidt and thinking that that's worth a top 50 pick. But we'll see. It's the center position just in general. And like you said, Creed Humphrey mm-hmm. fell a lot further than a lot of us believed. It's the NFL's catching up to these. There's only one center that's going to start. Like there's only 32 centers, one center on each team. And if you can't play the guard positions, that's really going to limit your versatility. Unless you desperately need a center and you're a team, then a lot of teams are going to look for those versatile type of players who can play all three of those interior offensive line positions. Like the Giants did last year with a player like Azudu who was playing left tackle and then was getting kicked inside on the very next snap. And I would even argue, Nick, just from a philosophical standpoint, if you're one of those teams that desperately needs a center, you're making a mistake by overinflating their draft, you know, your their draft capital and your investment in them because you desperately need this position, especially because, like you said, there's only 32 starters. You're going to have a good chance to get someone who wriggles free from a post June one cut or whatever it was, you know, like Joe Shane was talking about a training camp cut, whatever it may be, or like, you know, they've done in the past. They convert Nick Gates to center, right? They've you know, they can maybe convert somebody like Ben Bredesen to center, too. And I also just think you got to look at the rest of the Giants roster. This is something else that Joe Shane just alluded to a bunch of times when he was referencing Saquon, which we'll get into in a little bit. It's not just one player. You can't look at a player in a silo. This is a team. There are plenty of other holes on this team. So if we're talking about pick 25, Dan, with the corners in the class, I know we've made this point so many times on the podcast, but it's important. Some cornerback that they love is going to be available at pick 25. I don't think it's going to be Witherspoon. I don't think it's going to be Gonzalez. And I don't think it's going to be Banks. Like, I'm, I'm just souring on that. I think Banks is going to go up the board and he'll be picked in the top 20 or something. And that's going to piss me off, but that's probably what's going to happen, which leaves the Giants with the Ringos of the world and the Joey Porters and players like that. And I'm not certain which one of those players the Giants will love for pick 25, but I know that they'll have their pickings at least if those three are off the board. So there could be like five or six corners that go in this draft class. And we know this, this, this system relies on, 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 really talented and competent quarterback play. And it's just, do the Giants feel like they have that on their roster right now? I'm not certain. Maybe they do. And I'm just wrong right now. I think wide receiver is still on the table as well. I think that you look at JSN, they look at Zay Flowers taking these guys out to dinner, they're whining and dining them. I think that's still on the table as well. It's just, I don't know if center is going to slide into that conversation. And I'm not saying that's right or wrong, but I just, I just have this feeling that it's going to be one of those more paramount positions rather than a center or a linebacker. I think you're completely entirely right. And I thought you brought up something today that I haven't really, I don't know if I've thought about a lot or enough, and I don't think we've discussed it much in the past three years we've covered the draft, but I really like the concept, like the 30,000 foot view thought that you brought up about how when you're investing in something like a center, it is a onesie position, right? Like there are only 32 that start, especially if it's a guy who's center only, you don't have confidence in converting to a good guard at left or right side versus corner and receiver where you're drafting a guy and at work, you know, you're, you're adding to depth. You need so many guys on the field at those positions, the way that NFL is played right now, 11 personnel, you need a minimum of three on the field, basically at all times, a corner and receiver. Maybe you can, you know, not at all times, but 75% of the time, then that doesn't even factor in injuries, right? If you have three and three, you almost need almost all the time. You need four and five too there because you know, one through three is going to be injured at some point. That's just the nature of the NFL, especially for skill position players that are smaller and fat and they're moving faster or changing directions and they're leaping and coming down after a catch wrong way. Like this is why, you know, I think Joe Shane is not going to invest in a center in the first round. And for me with center, it's like now that you bring up the onesie positions and I'm thinking about them now and you can't even, what are else are the onesie positions? I feel like it's just center and interior defensive line. Is there any others? I was just about to bring that up. It's specific with interior defensive line because guys yeah. like Lucas Van Ness can play edge and there's certain, it really yeah. depends on your body type and your skill set. 
But linebacker doesn't really fall into this for me, specifically because a lot of these linebackers in this draft class, they're they're diverse in the sense that they can cover. They've played apex defender. They they line, align over the slot. Like you look at a guy like Trenton Simpson, who I'm not advocating the Giants select Trenton Simpson at pick 25, but that's a sub package linebacker. What team ran more sub packages and and quarter type of personnel than the Giants? There were no teams that ran more quarter than the Giants. Now quarter would mean that there's no linebackers out on the field, and you would be like, well, then why would they go linebackers? Like, was that more out of necessity, or is that what Wink Martindale wants to do? And I think that's a question. Now, he's, he would be a perfect sub-package linebacker for nickel. Him and Bobby Okereke next to each other would be perfect in nickel personnel. I don't want the Giants to go Trenton Simpson at pick 25. I'm just saying that there are a lot of hybrid type of linebackers in this draft class that the Giants might prioritize for their sub-packages, for their nickel, really, package. Because who the hell is playing next to Bobby Okereke right now? I'm guessing it would be Darian Beavers. I don't know how they feel about Micah McFadden. So linebacker, I wouldn't group in there with center per se. I think center is really just that onesie, whereas linebacker, you can get a little bit creative with that. And then, you know, when you think of when you when you break it down like that, Nick, and it really is truly the only onesie position center, I have even less interest in investing in it from this point on personally. And I've and it's funny because I always say, like, I think center is one of the most underrated positions if you have a dominant guy there. So if I, again, if I see a Ragnow out there, I'm in on a Frank Ragnow. Sure. Like I'm in on these types of guys, but I'm like all or nothing with it. It's kind of like tight end in fantasy. I want Travis Kelsey. I think he gives you a massive advantage, but if not, I never invest in like the Irv Smiths and the guys who move up into like, you got to get this guy in round five and six, like just take him. Like those guys I think are always the most wasted picks in fantasy. I'm either going to take the Kelsey. Or I'm going to bottom out there and try to find some value late. And that's kind of how I feel with center right now. I'm not very worried about it. I think some of the guys that they like, I, I don't, if you drafted John Michael Schmitz at 25, I'm not so sure he's making some kind of crazy impact for you in 2023. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. I think I would be okay with it. I really do. I I'm, I'm, I yeah. wouldn't be upset about it, but it also, depends upset. On, it also depends on who's left on the board. It really depends on how they value John Michael Schmitz. I mean, from the tape that I saw, and maybe I got to watch a little bit more, I liked his game. I thought he had a lot of range. I didn't see many glaring weaknesses with John Michael Schmitz's game, which is something that I appreciate. Whereas Joe Tipman, I, I think there are a little bit of weakness, some weaknesses. Whippler, I like Whippler. I think he's very technically sound. He's one of the best leverage players in the draft. But I'll say this about him. His anchor, which is a little bit problematic. There were a couple of plays where he just got put on ice skates. He's right in the back of CJ Stroud's lap. I don't really love that aspect of his game. I didn't see that all that often from John Michael Schmitz. So if it was John Michael Schmitz at 25, I wouldn't be upset, but I would also be like, well, I might have rather preferred these other players, but I'm going to trust Joe Shane in this process. I just don't see him going in that direction. Yeah, agreed entirely. And I think when it comes to like evaluating offensive line play, 
Nick is going to, you're always going to have like the film analysis here. And I'm going to totally trust you on that. I think you see things in film that I'll never see, especially in the offensive line position. But what I'm doing here is I'm just trying to make a projection based on what I think they're going to, because their film against the big 10 is going to be so different than their film against NFL defensive linemen. So I'm just making a projection. And with somebody like John Michael Schmitz, I think when he gets to the NFL level and stops playing the big 10 defensive line all day, it's going to be a different story for him. And I just don't, I don't see him as a weapon in the run game at all. Like, I think he's going to be a very high floor center. I think he'll be a starter for 10 years, maybe 12 years, but it's like, what kind of starter is he going to be? Is he going to be somebody who impacts your team? Or is he going to be just like a solid starter at a onesie position like center? And I think there's a lot of solid starters at center that you can find just at random spot. Feliciano was a solid starter at center last year. Nick Gates, two years ago before the injury was a solid starter center. He's a better prospect than those guys for sure. But I don't know. I just worry about that, how, how he translates to a different level of play. And I think that's completely fair. And this is somebody who's really only experienced at center, and he's going to be 24 years old as a rookie, which we saw last draft class. That was something that the Giants kind of strayed away from. That's something else we'll talk about here in a little bit. We should probably get back on course with these interviews. But one thing that Joe Sheen brought up at some point during his interview process with, uh, I think it was a question asked by Charlotte Carroll of The Athletic about how much more comfortable he is right now in terms of drafting players for specifically Wink Martindale's system because he worked with Brian Dable previously. So now he really knows the type of player, the type of prospect, the athletic build of players that Wink Martindale is going to desire. And one thing that I took away from that, and this is me probably really magnifying something that he said where it's probably unnecessary. It's like, does that mean at all though, the Giants maybe aren't as high on certain players that they drafted last year because they didn't fit as well as they hoped, you know? And I, again, this is me looking way too far into it, Dan, but it made me look at a Dane Belton and it made me look at a Micah McFadden. The only reason I'm thinking that is because they were both benched at certain parts of the season. That's not necessarily a, a good thing for their, their longevity. It doesn't mean that the giants are completely out on them, but it also might suggest with that comment that, maybe Joe Shane would have went in a different direction now that he really understands what Wink Martindale is looking for. I think that's definitely worth speculating on, to be completely honest. I don't think you're taking it too far or you know, going out on a limb there. The exact quote was, this year I have a much better feel defensively, uh, specifically defensively, for what Wink wants. I never worked with him in the past, so I didn't know. I had worked with Brian Dable, so I knew exactly what he was looking for. Now I know what he wants in his defense and how he's going to utilize his personnel. So I think you're onto something there potentially, but at the very least, I think it could also mean, I don't want to say at the very least, I think another kind of offshoot of this could be that it could mean that we could be a lot in for a lot more of a defensive heavy draft last year, basically with all the premium assets besides cave on Thibodeau, which was an easy slam dunk pick that doesn't, you know, it's not hard to do at number five overall, all the premium assets went to offense, Evan Neal, Wandell Robinson. I mean, you could talk about Cordell and, and Josh Azudu. Cordell Flott was probably the one, but I don't even consider a late three, like a premium asset really to me like once you get out of the top 50 to me you're really starting to stretch it thin in the draft and you're starting to look at all, all sorts of potential busts across the years for all teams not just the giants so i could mean that we could be looking at corner at 25 right like premium assets to the defense finally because he knows what he wants but i also wonder like I don't know if it's going to change. I'm curious to get your take on this. He says, I have a much better feel specifically defensively for what Wink wants. You know, like I said, how he's going to utilize his personnel. To me, this almost only applies really to the safety and linebacker positions. Like, I feel like the corner spot, he knew what Wink wanted anyway. And I don't think much changed from watching the film or anything. And the defensive line is a very similar situation. I feel like almost for off-ball linebacker and more specifically safety, I think, is where this could come into play. Or edge, and that's no knock on yeah. Kayvon Thibodeau whatsoever, but now maybe Joe Shane is a little bit more comfortable with what 
the Giants will be looking for at edge beyond a top five talent like a cave on Thibodeau. I just think he's more comfortable just where he is. And another thing we brought up on previous podcasts too, Dan, that's relevant to this conversation is Joe Shane has his front office in place. He's not working with a bunch of giant scouts that he's about to fire and a bunch of guys who are desperately trying to retain their jobs and their roles with a new general manager in place. Yeah, Joe Shane, he scouted with the Buffalo Bills throughout the 2021 season, and that's all well and good. But now he was scouting with his staff, the 2022 draft class with the New York Giants in mind, whereas before he was scouting under Brandon Bean with the Buffalo Bills. And I think that's also something that's important. Yeah, 100%. Now he's, and I think that that process will also continue to evolve, right? Like we're going to see different people come in through the door through these next few years, and they're really going to revamp that whole process and the scouts and everything like that. Let's talk a little bit about the Leonard Williams comments that he made. He said, no conversations yet with, I've had no conversations with Leonard Williams about a pay cut. And then someone's like, yeah, but you could, uh, you know, restructure and extend and do a void year. He said, we could do that. But it seems like on the Leonard Williams front, it's been pretty quiet so far. I think that's going to be a difficult situation. And he mentioned this too, like is no leverage. What leverage do you have against Leonard Williams right now? Well, we're going to cut you. No, you don't want to cut one of your best players. And, and even they if take he, a huge dead cap, hit. And they take a huge dead cap hit and Leonard Williams would get signed in a day if he wanted to, because he's that talented. So why would you do that? I just don't see the leverage that the giants have in this Leonard Williams situation. Going into his season with Leonard Williams making $32 million just sounds absolutely asinine and ridiculous to me. But I just don't really know how they're going to bring that number down without extending him, without extending him and giving him a void year or another year on his contract. And I think that might be the best course of action because he's still 29 years old and still plays at a high level when he's healthy. Yeah, it's a great course of action on the surface. The issue with it is, and I go back and forth on this because I was originally like, I'm good with extending him, right? He's 28 years old. The only reason he kind of dropped off last year, in my opinion, was the injury. And that was kind of a very fluky injury. Before that, he had never missed a single game in his career, Leonard Williams. But then I let go back and forth to the other side. And I'm like, if we're going to do that, and we're going to push more cap into future years and extend him, that means at some point the Giants are allocating like $55 million to two defensive tackles. That seems like such a tough formula to win with long-term in the NFL when you're also allocating $40 million to your quarterback. You're now talking about like, almost 100 million, like almost 45, 40 to 45% of your cap to two defensive tackles and a quarterback. That's yeah. that's a tough spot. It's a very tough spot. And it's just more residue from the last regime kind of pouring onto Joe Shane. And Joe Shane can't really get away from it. And we're not here just to knock that. That's a reality. But I don't know how he's going to handle that situation. And I think it could get messy because, again, I just don't see why Leonard Williams would budge. I know he made that comment at the end of the season, which I felt like was really strange of him to do to be like yeah i'll take a pay cut it's like why why would you say that like who who's saying that? this is a business everybody knows it's a business and if there's anyone who is feeling the fact that it's a business it would be saquon barkley right now yeah and back on quick real quick on Leonard williams it's like even though he said that and everyone's like oh this might be good for the giants it's like all right well he can say what he wants but still the agent is the one who talks so it's like the agent yeah. didn't say that the agent's just like forget what you just heard i'm not doing that and like <laughs> i think ultimately like the 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 course of action giants will choose if i'm going to guess is just they're going to ride it out he's going to play out that 33 million dollar 32 million dollar cap hit this year i think it's like the fourth highest paid third highest paid non-quarterback and they're just going to ride it out so then next year they can they can be in a position where if they need to cut him they can either cut him and get a, i think next year the dead cap is much lower I know it's much lower. I don't know the exact number, but at that point, then they start to have the leverage again. They're like, all right, you want to stay with the giants. Now you take a pay cut because now the dead cap is, you know, the dead cap hit is, is much, 
much smaller. So we have more of the leverage right now. The Giants don't have leverage. Like you said, let's talk a yeah, little next, bit about that. Yeah. Sorry. Go ahead. Next year. It's only 5.9 million. Whereas this year it would be 20 million in dead cap. So that's a big difference. What's the cap hit for next year? Yes. For the, the dead money, the cap no, no, hit. What, what's his cap hit for next year? The number 5.9. It's the same number with the dead money. So it's so much more oh. tolerable. Yeah. It's that big of a drop off. It's 32 wow. to 5.9. Wow. Yeah. I almost think like, I mean, I guess you have to give a, man, I, I really like that. I take it back then. I think they will. I don't know. I almost feel like a one year extension to that contract with a void year. You can, you can kind of spread that cap hit out and then, you still are getting to the point where you're paying two defensive tackles absurd amounts of money, but you then eventually, I guess, get out of the Leonard one. You only are doing it for maybe like a year or two. It's it's interesting. It's tricky because they. I was getting to my next thing. They're in active and and you know, ongoing contract negotiations right now with Dexter Lawrence. Joe Shane said they spoke with his agent last on Friday. They're an ongoing contract talks, and we're seeing if we can get something done. So there's a focus there to potentially get this Dexter Lawrence contract redone before this year. What would that contract look like? I'm imagining it's going to be a little bit north of what Javon Hargrave just made from the 49ers, which was four-year, $84 million. I think it'll reach the $100 million mark or close to it. I just think Hargrave's a much older player, and that's going to make a big difference in you know what the cost is to, to acquire a guy like that versus a Dexter Lawrence. I also think, quite frankly, Dexter Lawrence is a better player than Javon Hargrave and was a more way more dominant player in 2022. And I don't see any reason to think that that's going to drop off or that was a fluke or anything. He made a position change for the most part. I mean, he played all over the line, but he played a lot over the center. And he unlo- they unlocked a lot of – and it's not just they unlocked it. I mean, he unlocked it himself with the hand usage as you you know went over a bunch during the season. That changed who he was fundamentally as a player. Those two things changed everything about him right now. And I just think at his age – as one of the best, if not, in my opinion, he's going to probably be the best defensive tackle in the NFL pretty soon. It's him or Chris Jones once Aaron Donald retires. I think Donald probably do one more year in the NFL. So, you know, you're talking about, okay, we're resigning the best defensive tackle in the NFL, probably closing in on 100 mil, I would think. So we're talking about maybe a four-year, 25, yeah. something like that. Yeah. Yep. 25 a piece. I think it will end up being or damn close. So, and I, I don't even care. I'm willing to, I'm willing to pay that. My bigger question is, do I want to pay that plus a Leonard Williams? And then I'm, that's the, that's the bigger deal here. But as far as just paying Dexter Lawrence, I don't really, it's like with Dexter Lawrence and Andrew Thomas, Nick, I don't care what they ask for. I don't care what those contracts finalize as it doesn't matter to me. We're going to be arguing over a few million here, a few million there, whatever, get these guys locked up. The giants have done such a poor job of re-signing their actual great players that have come through Quite frankly, a lot of that has to do with they haven't drafted very well. <laughs> no, they have not. I think Joe Shane is fully aware of that. I think Xavier McKinney falls into this conversation as well. And just as a side note, before we get into Saquon Barkley, John Mara spoke on Xavier McKinney's behalf. And he said, look, I'm not I don't hold anything against him at all. He's got great leadership potential. He's, he was very contrite and sorry and a little bit embarrassed in my office when he told me what happened. It was an accident accidents happen we want him to be a part of that future but Xavier McKinney's not resetting the market at safety that's the difference whereas Andrew Thomas will likely reset the market at tackle and Dexter Lawrence other than Aaron Donald will likely reset the market yeah they're gonna both be market resetters it's you know everybody's like oh everyone said the Giants don't have any salary cap space to spend and they're signing all these guys they can't everyone said if they keep Jones and Barkley, they can't do anything. I'm like, anyone, anyone who's saying that on Twitter, I'm like, dude, this is never about can they do anything in 2023. Of course you can manipulate the cap to do things in 2023. The issues with the cap by signing Jones and Barkley are going to come 
in the future years. That's when we're going to start to feel it when Andrew Thomas is resigned, when Dexter Lawrence is resigned. And now before you know it, 60 to 70 percent of your cap space is allocated to these three, these four players. Then what? Right. And that's yeah. And that's what we move on from. We'll see what happens there, obviously, as we move forward. You said you wanted to get into some Barkley stuff. So let's let's dive into that now. Yes, yeah, Saquon Barkley, man, it's the the offer was pulled. There's no outstanding offer on the table right now, Joe Shane, which makes sense in my opinion, because why would you leave a $12.5, $13 million contract on the table when the market seems to depress or it seems like the running backs, Zeke Elliott, $15 million a year, you're gone. No, we're not paying you that. Like A lot of these running backs are not making the money that they want to make. You got Dalvin Cook, who the Vikings are supposedly trying to get away from, Joe Mixon, get away his contract as well. Alvin Kamara might be suspended for six games. He's making 15 million a year. And I know that's a unique situation, but regardless, the Giants, I feel like have the leverage with Saquon Barkley. It's like, this is our number. If you don't like it, you can test the market and you could see if you want to go move to another city or you could stay here, get paid handsomely for what the market is right now and be the face of this franchise like we want you to be. Yeah, it's a tough spot right now. I think we learned this now for a fact that the Giants are not currently in active negotiations with Barkley, but we didn't really know this before this. We thought maybe that original offer that they had for him before the bye week was still on the table or, and he just wasn't taking it, or maybe it was a new revised offer that was lower, but that's not the case. They put the tag on him and that's it now for negotiations. Um, now Shane also said something I thought like he was he he's still been talking to to his age uh, to his agent yeah. I think they said as recently a few days ago um John Maris uh, Brian Dable said he texted Barkley like a week ago and they don't know about if he's going to show up for voluntary OTAs or any of that which they obviously want him to he's a leader of this team and he's somebody who you want in the building early on because of that and Mara has said that he wants to resign him and make him a giant for life. You know, the Tiki Barbers of the world. He wants him to be one of that, one of those guys, Michael Strand, Tiki Barber, all the, the legendary giants. So it's a weird spot with Barkley. I don't really know what's going to happen because they, they keep saying they want to resign him, but they seem to be nowhere near in contract negotiations. And at this point, Nick, it's like, even if you do give him like a four to five year deal at 12 million a year or 11 million a year, you're basically in a lot of ways, like it's not good. Like if everything Joe Shane has done this off season, if that's what he does to me, that'll be by far his worst move of the off season because no one else is paying running backs. Like you said, everyone's trying to get out of these contracts, cook mix and whatever. Why are you going to be the only team that pays the position? Why are you going to be a team that tries to be the outlier here? Why are you going to, you know, invest all this money long-term, especially with a guy who's already torn his ACL and his MCL. Like, at that point, Nick, we're getting I, I, earlier on. I was like, whatever, I'll just accept it. Hopefully it's a three year deal and they can front load it. Now there's no front loading because they don't have any cap space. So you can't front load any long term deal with Barkley. You have to back load it. And now you're doing exactly what all these other teams have done and made mistakes on and regretted. So why do you want to be following in the footsteps and the path of the teams that have already regretted these types of decisions? Yeah, it's it seems a little bit counterintuitive to what the NFL is doing right now. And I like Saquon Barkley. We've we like Saquon Barkley on this podcast, but dude, this is a business. And I, I think he might have to swallow some pride too, which is unfortunate for him. But you had 12 and a half million. You were like, no, nah, I think I can get more. The offense runs through me, but then it didn't run through you towards the latter half of the year. I don't want to say you slipped up, but you weren't as big of a game part of the game plan in terms of carries and things of that nature. And a lot of those wins down the stretch. <laughs> and now the Giants are like, I don't really want to give you 12 and a half. That's what at least it seems like. And it got a little awkward, Dan, during the Joe Shane uh, interview, I felt like, when when um, reporters started pressing him on the market, the running back market, and on Saquon Barkley playing for 
the franchise tag. And he was like, yeah, yeah, I'm comfortable with him playing on the franchise tag. He said that, but then they started poking and prying. Did you feel like a sense of awkwardness with Joe Shane a little bit whenever Saquon, when they kept poking and prying the reporters? A hundred percent. I think from the day he took over as general manager, he's been, his, his tone shifts completely when people ask him about contracts in these interviews. He's all vibrant and vivacious when they're asking him about, oh, how's this player going to fit the offense? Or what do you think about the draft position? Ooh, I like safeties deeper than people give. He'll give you information. He'll give you nuggets. He's much better than Gettleman. The minute you ask him about contract stuff, he's like, he just goes into that awkward shell because he, and that's great because yeah, I'm happy he has that defense yeah. mechanism, like natural defense mechanism. Cause you don't want to give an ounce of information away. If you're in current uh, contract negotiations, not an ounce. Yeah. He goes from verbose to terse very <laughs> quickly whenever contracts get brought up and I'm, I'm here for it as well. Yeah, me too. I thought there was an interesting conversation about actually let's first get into John Mara, who said the Giants haven't closed the door on Odell Beckham Jr. and resigning him. Mara also said he would like to resign him, but he's going to trust Joe Shane and Brian Dable. And they kind of asked Joe Shane about it. And he's like, look, you can get creative with the cap, but we're trying to get out of that business at some point. And he's like, I, you know, he's trying to get out of the business. He's like, at some point, we're probably going to have to do it again. We're trying to get out of that business. The way it sounded to me, it sounds like this Odell Beckham Jr. thing is just not going to happen with the Giants anymore based on the moves they've already made and the cap space they've already allocated. Yeah, I'm right there with you. And I was a little bit skeptical it was going to happen anyways with Odell Beckham Jr. And I like Odell. I think he can add an element of explosive playmaking to this offense that the Giants desperately needed prior to free agency. But then the Giants went out and they traded for Darren Waller, who we'll get into in a little bit. And I think Darren Waller is going to be that number one passing option. Yeah, he's not a wide receiver. But I don't really think that matters. I think that's like some of those like football things that we do as fans where we're like, well, they don't have a safety, but they have like, or they don't have a linebacker, but they have like a safety who acts as a linebacker who can operate within that role. It just doesn't fit perfectly a square into the square hole. You know what I'm saying? No, I know exactly what you're saying. It's like the NFL teams are looking, not looking at this the same way that fans are, right? It's like, especially a team like the Giants who played a lot of positionless football on both sides of the ball last year. So they're yeah. certainly not a team that's looking at it like, we need to do this, we need to get that. It's this position, it's that position. No, it's a different kind of mindset for them. And they will, I if, it's convenient. They will if it's convenient, right? But yeah. is it convenient right now with their cap restraints? It's not. So no. that's where we're at. Not only is it not convenient now, it's basically not convenient ever at this point. They're... The Daniel Jones contract is going to start toiling away next year in huge hits. Dexter Lawrence, Andrew Thomas, Saquon Barkley potentially too if they resign him. There's just no room for this type of thing. If Odell wants, if Odell gets close to what he wants, that's the thing though. As Odell continues to sit in free agency, it's like that price continues to come down. It may get to a point where they can make that gamble. If, like you said, things happen, like we talked about before, things like the Dexter Lawrence contract happens, because then they can do a low cap it for year one, right? Free up some more cap space, different things like that. Odell, to me, is intriguing when I feel like I, I'm sh I'm a little bit, um, I guess I would say, like too swayed by the nostalgia factor in it. Because when I really think about it and take a step back and look at a 30,000 foot view, I'm like, do I really think it's a good idea to invest in a 30-year-old receiver with a insane amount of lower body injuries who may not be the same player he was, but even if he is, may not be able to last long as the same player he was versus like just trading a fourth or fifth for DeAndre Hopkins, who's the same kind of thing, but much less of an injury history. And we just saw him compete at the highest level last year. So it's like, and I don't want Hopkins at all. I would never want to trade for a 30. So like, why am I then interested in Odell Beckham Jr.? Just because I don't want to trade a draft pick. Like it just doesn't add up for me. And I think I'm weighing the nostalgia factor too heavily here. I think that's very fair. Good judgment, Dan.
Yeah. Sometimes you feel that way. Look, he played for the Giants, and I loved when he was there. And I yeah. just think about, like, that Ravens fourth and seventh slant that he slant-housed, like, against the Ravens. I was at that game, and it's just like, is he even that guy anymore? That was a long time ago, and there was so many injuries earlier. And that's the thing here. Like, he's had an insane amount of injuries. And that, speaking of injuries, let's talk a little bit about injuries because uh, it was an interesting conversation on Dale, Darren Waller's injury history, quote-unquote, which I think is insanely overstated and overblown. He's never had a major surgery, never had a major injury, just some soft tissue injuries. And Joe Shane said our training staff was the Ed Block training staff of the year. Which, first of all, I didn't even know about that award. I never heard of it. I also don't know how the Giants staff ever deserves an award for training staff of the year. But he had some stats to back up his assertion. He said our soft tissue injuries were down 200%. And you know what? I thought about it when he said that. And I was like, you're right. Like the Giants didn't have a lot of stupid soft tissue injuries last year. They had a, a ton of annoying ACLs, the tears that were done for the year. Crazy amount of ACL tears. Those are season enders. But soft tissue wasn't really a huge problem for us. There, I don't remember too many like annoying, nagging hamstring injuries for this team. And he said, look, we were, he says, with the soft tissue stuff, I have a ton of confidence. Our staff feels incredibly comfortable to get him on the field and keep him on the field. And that's what was bothering Darren Waller. It was the soft tissue injuries. It wasn't a tear here, a tear there, a sprain here, a sprain there. It's just soft tissue stuff. So I'm, I was intrigued by that. He also discussed how you look at the practice habits of the former teams that these players come from, and you can assess the practice habits and see if you can mitigate injury risk by giving less reps and things of that nature, like going that far in depth. It's beyond just the training staff in terms of strength and conditioning from the sense that we would think of it, but it's also managing the player, managing the player's reps. I think another thing that helps the Giants is that they traded Kadarius Tony pretty early on in the season, who was just a walking hamstring injury. <laughs> yeah, that brought it right. down by about 50%. Uh, <laughs> him, him not being on the team, if we're going to be honest here, I, I think our hope knocking on wood that that continues this year, because I don't know, it's been decades thinking about the New York giants and, and their soft tissue injuries, but you got to do something also. And I feel like this is a little bit more freakish, the ACL injuries, because they suffered seems like uh, more than a lot of other teams. And I don't have stats to back that up, but it was pretty yeah. bad last season. Just felt that way. And I I mean, then it goes into what Joe Shane also said about injuries. And he was basically speaking to Anshanire talk. You know me, I think, in, I think the idea of injuries, A, being predictable are bullshit. And B, being injury, there's injury prone players are not always bullshit. Like there are guys who have rack up the same injury over and over to the same area of the body that'll give you injury prone. But like everyone last year, remember the whole thing in fantasy football was like, you can't take Christian McCaffrey in the top three. He's a guaranteed to get injured. He'll be injured by week four. I think uh established to run did a really funny social video on this where it was it just did. comments about like all the people saying this is the dumbest pick ever. And what do you know? Christian McCaffrey plays every game last season. So as Joe Shane said it best, he said, when I got the job, Daniel Jones and Saquon Barkley had missed a lot of games. They didn't miss game, many games last year. Richie James had missed an entire season before and then played the whole year for us. He said Leonard Williams had never missed a game his entire career and then played hurt all year. All this to prove the point. Injuries are not predictable. You can't just sit here and say guys are injury prone. It's a stupid thing to say for the most part, in my opinion. For the most part, yes. I, again, yeah, I think a guy part. like Kadarius Tony is is a little yeah, bit yeah. of an exception right. to that. There, yeah, you're right. And and to an extent, Odo Beckham racking up all those lower body injuries probably yeah. qualifies him as well in that regard. All right. Let's talk a little bit about a little off-topic thing but I thought was interesting. I kind of loved John Mara just going to war with these 
greedy ass NFL owners <laughs> and whoever else is making these decisions about not wanting to flex games to Thursday night football. I completely agree with everything he said. It's so entirely unfair to the fans. Let's say you're going to the Giants Raiders and it's supposed to be a Sunday game and then it gets and you're flying out to Vegas and then it gets changed from Sunday to Thursday a week before. Now you have this your whole plan is screwed. You have a flight that you're supposed to be landing on Friday or Thursday night. What are you going to do now? You have to change your flight. The airlines aren't cool with that. You have to pay a shit ton of money to change your flight. Oh, you got to change your hotel. And I've said a lot of curses so far on this podcast. So I apologize. I feel like I've said three. I never I, I've limited myself to like zero after all the uh, people who have told us not to curse. But it's annoying. Like if you're going to, you're going to ruin somebody's plans entirely to make a little bit more money from a TV deal. So I was really happy with what he said about that. And he also talked about the turf. The giants are changing too, which I yeah. don't really know too much about turf, but it's supposed to be better. Yeah. It's supposed to be better. So I like the fact that he's at least taking the precaution to switch the turf to hopefully prevent injuries and those ACL injuries and those MCL injuries that we were talking yeah. about right there with you in terms of him fighting back against the fact that Thursday night football had some of the most horrendous games down the stretch. And you know what? It's probably going to be late in the year, Thursday night, and I'm going to be complaining about some just absolutely nonsense game. But I do think this is the right move because yeah. that's just unfair to the fans and it's unfair to the players too. True. Exactly. That's a great point too, because a lot of the times in the past, they would schedule a Thursday night game and then follow it with the team having another Thursday or a Thursday into a Monday or something like that to give them extra rest. But yeah. if you're asking a team to play Sunday and then Thursday more than once, twice, maybe, maybe three times, like it's just not fair and you're going to see more injuries. So it's just stupid and stop being greedy. You've been eating long enough. You've been, uh, what was it? You've been eating long enough. Now stop being greedy. Just keep it real partner. Give to the needy. Some people might get that reference. Is that, is that a big L? Is that a big L? No, it's not big L. It's not big L. It's a, it's, it's a, a rapper. RIP. It is a rapper. It's an RIP rapper. He won oh, it is. actually, just phenomenal stuff. That out, whole album is just pure fire. Arguably like one of the, probably actually on a bar for bar basis. And just when you consider the flow and this is getting too rap heavy right now, but consider just his unbelievable flow energy and then just really good bars in his early stuff. It's DMX. DMX is probably in my opinion, one of the most underrated rappers of all time. I'm going to say that right now. Not too familiar. Okay. Well, he's, he's the best, uh, not the best, but one of them. Brian Dable talked about expanding Jones and his offense moving forward, becoming more of a throw-heavy offense, throwing more downfield. He said, I'd say this is probably the first time in his life that the first time he's had a little bit of consistency. We can all do a better job in terms of all the pieces. Every year you add pieces in the draft and free agency. You had them for a reason. You think they can help your team. We haven't had our first team meeting yet. Certainly got a lot of work to do. I'd say with Daniel, we'll have a lot of the same guys he threw to back. And that's a good thing. We'll have some new guys. We're going to keep evolving what we do as a coaching staff. And I have to do, I have to keep getting better on the things he can get better at. It all starts, it starts all over again. Yeah. The thing about Dable's interview was like 10 minutes Never. long. It was a lot of like, it was just a lot of like, hey, we're going to get on the football field. We're self-evaluating ourselves. But I believe it, right? We heard of that a lot with Joe Judge and Jason Garrett during that coaching staff. But when the hell did they really try a lot of different things on offense? We saw how many iterations of this offense, Dan. We saw so many iterations of this offense on a week-to-week -week basis. We saw Jason Garrett trot the same offense out two years in a row, and it was absolutely abysmal. So I really trust when Joe or when Brian Dable says those kinds of things. He also always brings up the guys in the analytics department and, and the other guys behind the scenes like Cade Knox and Ty CM. Is that how you say it? CM? I'm not really on the Yeah, I think. CM. Ty CM. And they talk about how they all get together and they're just looking around, not just 
all the NFL to see trends, but all of college football to see what is going on in this game that they love. Brian Dable also brought up how he calls people all over college football, all over the NFL, see what they're doing with their players. This is a very inquisitive type of individual who I feel like is very personable, has a lot of friends around the league. And I think that is great in this type of industry where innovation is everything. I haven't felt this way about a Giants coaching staff in so long where I'm like, hey, if something isn't working, I ain't going to try to just plug square pegs into round holes. They're going to try to innovate and they're going to figure it out. We saw that last year with Mike Kafka and we even saw it to a certain extent with Wink Martindale, albeit their inability to stop power gap was was an issue all year that I felt like scheme couldn't even fix. Because if you start overcompensating to stop those edge runs, you're going to get burnt up the sideline on the opposite side of the field. Like it's just, that's that's a little bit more difficult. Yeah, that was a personnel issue. I agree with you on that. But it was really interesting to hear him talk about what you the two play the people you mentioned, Ty CM, the director of football data and innovation, and then Cade Knox, who's a game manager by role. He said, We go through all the games and our process is we're looking for things that I could have done differently in game. So I love to hear that. A head coach yeah. is just looking through the going through the analytics. He says we also talk about our improving our system. The things on tape that were a problem technique wise so we can figure out new drills. I thought that was really cool, too. And then he says he calls college coaches, asks about trends and things like that and involves the system. But I just thought it was really interesting that they're looking at the tape to see what their technique issues were with each position and then looking at different ways they can drill it during training camp and obviously the offseason to improve it. Which coincides with the fact that the Giants just added a player like Darren Waller, who both Joe Shane and Brian Dable mentioned quite a bit in their interviews. And I believe a reporter asked Brian Dable something along the lines of, are you going to use Darren Waller outside? And Brian Dable just basically gave the run of the mill like, yeah, you know, we're going to try everything out. But again, we haven't been out on the football field quite yet. But when you think about the implementation of players in the past for Brian Dable, how he's gotten the most out of players like Dawson Knox when he was with the Buffalo Bills. I think you had different personnel in Buffalo, so you could use Stefan Diggs at the backside of a three-by-one. Like, What suggests to you that Darren Waller won't ingratiate himself into this offense if he's healthy and be able to handle any of the roles that I feel like Brian Dable can carve out for him? I remain very high on the fact that Darren Waller is going to be able to just slide in here and be able to do whatever Brian Dable needs him to do. We just got to kind of see it at this point. And Brian Dable was just, yeah, we got to get out on the football field, yada, yada. And then said that whole run-of-the-mill type of response. But, man, just thinking about him on the backside of three-by-one, be like, all right, put a corner out there. He's going to boss that guy. You want to put a safety out there. He's more athletic than him. And then you have you know, the three receivers on the other side, which is going to be the play side. Daniel Jones, if Daniel Jones is going to attack the field side a little bit more from the far hash, now he has an option like Darren Waller to throw the football to, a huge body, a, a an athletic freak. If he's healthy, man, I see this working out very lovely. Yeah, I completely agree with you on that, and I'm really excited as well. Looking forward to it. All right. Anything else from the from the interviews that you uh, wanted to touch on, Nick? Got a blue chip player. Or no, it was just a blue player, as Joe Shane said, in Darren Waller. Yeah, that's yeah, their color system. Yeah, yeah the color rating color scale. And what they what he confirmed to the reporter was that that means a player they think has pro bowl potential. So they do think that Darren Waller is a blue player. And I think they we know last year they drafted who they believe to be two blue chip players in uh, Evan Neal and Kayvon Thibodeau. So just something to keep in mind as we move forward and we hear him kind of. I was going to ask you, who do you think yeah. is a blue player? Who do you think is a blue player in their mind? Like if we were to go into Joe Shane's office, how many blue oh. players do the Giants have right now? That's a good question. All right, let's see. Andrew Thomas. Here's my picks yes. for who they think are blue players. Andrew Thomas. Saquon Barkley. 
for sure. Again, we're not doing positional value. It's just who he thinks can be Pro Bowl type players. Uh, I hope he thinks Daniel Jones. I uh, hope too, if you give him that but, contract, but I'm not putting Daniel Jones up there. No, I'm not going to put him in there for now. So, so Darren Waller, Saquon Barkley, Andrew. Oh, I didn't say Waller. Darren Waller, Saquon Barkley, Andrew Thomas on offense. Evan Neal. He definitely thinks Evan Neal could get there for. I hope. Um, yeah, no, no. He wouldn't draft him at seven overall if he didn't, I don't think. Uh, let's see. He might not have thought there was any blue chip talent, though, at that point. That's possible. That's possible. Yeah. I think he would have traded down if he felt that way. I'm not sure, but I think he would have done that. Um, I don't think he was drafting by position there, but maybe. Uh, Dexter Lawrence. Yes. Leonard Williams. That's six. Kayvon Thibodeau, seven. Um, I don't know if he feels that way about a Dory or about Xavier. I think for sure those I, I think for sure those seven, maybe eight was Xavier. I think Xavier too. So I think yeah. that's eight. Those yeah. are my eight at least that I have in my mind. And I'm wondering if he has contingencies where it's like light blue for guys like Evan Neal, yeah. who you know, I'm a little bit I'm a little bit more hesitant on it now, but I think he can get there. So who knows? I'm still pretty high on Neil. Uh just just more more on just I guess it's somewhat of a hopeful thing, but He's as we'll talk about as we get to like bold predictions, breakouts, stuff like that. As we get close to the season, to me, there's no player that makes a bigger difference in the Giants winning games this year than Evan Neal. Uh, that's cra- it's crazy, but that's how strongly I feel about like him evolving into a player we thought he could be pre-draft. If he if he if it snaps and he becomes that this year, everything changes to me for the Giants outlook. Everything they have two locked in tackles, two locked in tackles at that age, man. Like not a lot of NFL teams possess that. Yep. All right, so we'll see what happens there. Thank you to everyone for tuning into the Big Blue Banter podcast. Remember, if you want to help the show grow, you need to like this video if you're watching on YouTube. You need to subscribe. You need to hit the bell button. You need to download these podcasts on iTunes or Spotify or Stitcher or wherever you get it. You can't just listen. You've got to hit download. That's it. And then finally, we're going to start doing something interesting starting this week. I should have said this at the beginning of the show, so I'll just do it on the next one. Start If you start leaving us a rating and review on iTunes, it has to be five-star, though. That's my criteria. I don't care what anyone says about that. If you leave us a five-star rating review on iTunes and you post your mock draft, you guys, I know a lot of you like doing the mock draft simulators. We will grade your mock drafts. We'll start grading mock drafts, breaking them down, grading them at the end of every show. So great idea by Nick, I think. We'll see if it plays out as great as I think it will. And that'll start to be fun. We'll start to grade your drafts and we'll give you A's, A minuses. You know me. I don't do A, B, C, D. I need a, I need a decimal or I need a minus or a plus sign behind those grades. Don't give me any specific grades and number systems. So we'll get into all that as we get closer to the draft. It's almost April. I'm excited. So have a great rest of your week and we'll talk to you soon. I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.